All right, another day, another dollar here in post-pandemic America. And uh, based on the traffic to the podcast and the website, mostly the podcast, uh, thank you guys for top 50 in the UK this week. New charts out, number 48 for daily news category. Incredible, because the UK is obviously a big market. And also we're rising in Australia and Canada. Sorry, I mixed things up. We're number 48 in Canada. We're rising in the UK, though. But Canada, huge market. So uh, thank you guys for that. And continue to listen and share the podcasts and the uh, articles and all that. But based on the overwhelming traffic to just a couple of episodes, I think what people want is good summary and uh, good analysis of the Twitter files that have come out over the last month because our competitors in the mainstream like Fox and uh, MSN, which appears on Bing, you know, MSN owned by Microsoft and uh, the big newspapers and stuff, all these, all these companies are doing a very superficial treatment of the Twitter files. I guess it's so big they can't ignore it completely. But they're definitely not doing even a fraction of the analysis and sifting that we're doing. And we're not even putting in that much time. You know, we're not even doing heavy lifting here. So uh, we're just going to read some of the content that we posted on our own website over the last month. That way there's no copyright issue. And we can just very efficiently bring people up to speed. So uh, back on December 8th is when Twitter Files Part 2 come out. And Twitter Files Part 2 show that there was a do not amplify backdoor, as it was called. A quote-unquote DNA, or do not amplify feature. And also blacklists of popular users and topics. So, as the article says, a brief explanation of what the Twitter files part two revealed and some of the most damaging screenshots. Barry Weiss, uh, Barry Weiss, one of the investigative journalists that Musk is promoting, seems to be responsible for this leg of the files. And again, this particular part was about the uh, secret blacklists that Twitter maintained. And, uh, Barry Weiss's tweet thread summarizing her findings in part two is as follows. I'm just going to quote it. A new Twitter files investigation reveals that teams of Twitter employees built blacklists, prevent disfavored tweets from trending, and actively limit the visibility of entire accounts or even trending topics, all in secret without informing their users. Twitter once had a mission to, quote, give everyone the power to create and to share ideas and information instantly without barriers, end quote. Along the way, barriers nevertheless were erected. Take, for example, Stanford's Dr. J. Bhattacharya, who argued that COVID lockdowns would harm children. Twitter secretly placed them on a, quote, trends blacklist which prevented his tweets from trending. And then she says, Twitter set the account of conservative activist Charlie Kirk to, quote, do not amplify. 
And then she says, or consider the popular right-wing talk show host, Dan Bongino, who at one point was slapped with a search blacklist. In other words, when you search for his name, nothing would come up. And so the article concludes, Dan Bongino, Charlie Kirk, and scientists critical of the COVID-19 vaccine all seem to be among those who were directly targeted by Twitter's underhanded censorship. And of course, we only know this stuff now because Musk bought the company, took it private, took it from a public company that traded on a stock market to privately his possession, and then chose to reveal all this stuff, all the misdeeds of the former owners of the company. Essentially, this is like uncharted territory. I don't think this has ever been done before in internet history or in the history of capitalism, really. Because right? you have activists, investors who try to put their, you know, try to make their mark on the companies they're invested in and they try to change policy or improve the ethics as they see it or whatever. Guys like Carl Icahn, right? Carl Icahn, activist investor. But what Musk is doing is something far beyond that. He literally bought a social media giant, took it private, put it in his pocket. It's now one of his toys. And he's added some cool features like the view count, I think is transformative. Now every tweet is kind of its own capsule, like a YouTube video. You can decide how popular a tweet is based on the number of views and decide if that tweet is important or not. That's different way of navigating Twitter, you know, massive improvement. I'm surprised they never thought of that before. I feel like, I feel like we're an idiocracy that nobody ever thought of doing a view count on Twitter, right? Every tweet has a view count now. Uh, so let's move on to part three. And again, if you enjoy this, this wrap up, please share away whatever podcast app you're using, please share away. Because again, we saw an uptick, massive uptick in these episodes talking about the Twitter files. And I think that's because even people like Joe Rogan, even Joe Rogan is not talking much about this. But certainly the mainstream media, they're talking about it even less. So here we go. Part three. Elon Musk nukes the Podestas with Twitter files part three. I'm just going to read from our article back on December 10th. In Twitter files part three, as it's being called, it was revealed that direct conversations between federal law enforcement and Twitter staff informed the decision to de-boost Trump's various tweets in his final days on the platform, and then to ban him altogether. More important to us, however, the latest batch of disclosures also showed that a carve-out within Twitter, the quote, Trust and Safety Board, which included John Podesta's niece, was intentionally ignoring child abuse imagery and communications on the platform while de-boosting and in some cases banning journalists and sex trafficking victims. Not okay, not in America. As Elon Musk put it, quote, Twitter is both a social media company and a crime scene. So he says he bought a crime scene. And then you have this weird... This weird exchange on Twitter where journalist Laura Logan uh, responds to a tweet from Anne Collier and Leslie Podesta, both of whom served on Twitter's uh, 
censorship board. So she's responding to these two people who are on the censorship team, Leslie Podesta, niece of John Podesta, responding to her. And she says, while you sat on that council, children were being trafficked and you knew it and at best did nothing. You should not just be able to walk away. You should be held accountable. And then Elon Musk responded to that and said, indeed, shame on them. Shame on them, Musk tweeted, of Leslie Podesta and the other DC elites who served within Twitter's secretive trust and safety board. And then we have part four. I should skip ahead to part five. Part five reveals the final moment details that led up to Trump's banning. So Twitter files part five was handed off to Barry Weiss, who also did part two. And this is an investigative journalist with the Free Press, new media company, the Free Press. In a tweet thread or series of connected tweets, Weiss dissected the final moments of Trump on Twitter and the details that led to his removal from the platform. As Musk succinctly summarized part five, under pressure from hundreds of activist employees, Twitter deplatforms Trump, a sitting U.S. president, even though they themselves acknowledge that he didn't violate the rules. So that one's pretty straightforward. They banned Trump even though they acknowledged internally he didn't rise to the level of actually violating their core terms of service. And uh, we're doing a live stream now also. I'm not ignoring you guys. Just I want to stick to stick to reading this stuff until we finish the summary. And then we can answer some questions and whatnot. And of course, uh, worth mentioning that Congress is trying to ban TikTok. So send them a tweet. Send them a tweet or something and say you don't know what you're doing. It's the only place where real journalists are still allowed to hang out. Don't ban TikTok. If you don't like it, you don't have to download it. All right, so Twitter Files Part 6 dropped. This is an article back on December 16th. Part 6 drops, showing the FBI basically ran Twitter from 2020 onward. Not too constitutional. It looks like the FBI was even flagging accounts and requested they'd be banned for making jokes about Joe Biden or the election outcome. Even small non-celebrity accounts were targeted. That's a First Amendment violation of the highest order. And this particular batch of files was analyzed and midwifed by liberal-leaning journalist Matt Taibbi. No one can dispute what Taibbi is saying because he scores no political points here. And then let's move on to part seven. But yeah, if you're hearing this for the first time, your mind is probably blown, right? Like, why didn't you hear this on the TV for the last month? Pretty, pretty big. This is the biggest stuff since WikiLeaks, biggest stuff since the Pentagon Papers in the 1970s. It's definitely up there. This is definitely something that's going to be chewed on in, in journalism schools for years to come. All right, so Elon Musk's Twitter Files Part 7 dropped on December 20th. And as Musk summarized this part, 
He summarized it in a single tweet. Government paid Twitter millions of dollars to censor info from the public. And this particular part was done by Michael Schellenberger. And he tweeted, Twitter files part seven, the FBI and the Hunter Biden laptop. How the FBI and intelligence community discredited factual information about Hunter Biden's foreign business dealings, both after and before the New York Post revealed the contents of his laptop on October 14th, 2020. So pretty interesting cover up there. And then we get into the really dark stuff. Part eight drops showing that the Pentagon was influencing Twitter running what are known as quote psyops or psychological operations on the platform. So it says part eight is now out unbeknownst to the majority of users. The U S government's Pentagon was reportedly in close contact with Twitter to track down dissenters, silence critics, and of course to try out and amplify psychological operations sometimes referred to as psyops. And uh, Lee Fang is the journalist who analyzed this particular batch. Pretty disturbing. All right, then Twitter Files Part 9, the CIA was policing domestic speech on Twitter. Part nine of the Twitter files, analyzed and presented by journalist Matt Taibbi, said he uses this guy again, uh, who also presented part one of the files, might be the most rewarding yet for conspiracy theorists, the most rewarding and the most damaging for people who believed in the system and our constitution. And uh, Elon Musk retweeted this article by Matt Taibbi, article entitled Twitter Files Thread, the spies who love Twitter. And the article on our site analyzing it says, put simply, FBI agents were skimming Twitter search results for, quote, policy violations. Taxpayer money was used to police conduct on an American social media network. The level of policing grew so burdensome that at one point, two Twitter executives both essentially loyal to the federal, loyal to their federal handlers in broad respects, questioned what was occurring and pushed back, saying there simply wasn't any link between Russian or Russian disinformation agents and the Americans the FBI was focused on. In other email exchanges, Part 9 also reveals that FBI agents at various points handed off interaction with Twitter to, quote, OGA colleagues meaning other government agency, a euphemism in D.C. for the Central Intelligence Agency, a euphemism for the CIA. Similarly, Part 9 showed that Twitter executives had routine meetings and calls, conference calls with OGA, or the CIA. So that's pretty shocking for most people. And then finally, to bring you up to speed, the most recent, most recent batch, Twitter Files Part 10, medical experts were, quote, actively suppressed at behest of the U.S. government on Twitter and on other social media networks. And Musk, uh, Musk promoted this part of the Twitter Files by tweeting out, 
and saying, quote, much more to the Twitter files COVID edition than this introductory threat. Follow-up piece to come next week featuring leading doctors and researchers from Harvard, Stanford, and other institutions. And uh, part 10 was analyzed by journalist David Zweig, however you pronounce his name, David Zweig, Z-W-E-I-G is his last name. And I'll read his, I'll read his little summary right now. And then that'll be this episode. We'll wrap this one. And again, just share away. I don't see many other shows talking about this. Share away. Uh, so he says, so far the Twitter files have focused on evidence of Twitter's secret blacklists. How the company functioned as a kind of subsidiary of the FBI and how execs rewrote the platform's rules to accommodate their own political desires. What we have yet to cover is COVID. This reporting for the free press is one piece of that important story. The United States government pressured Twitter and other social media platforms to elevate certain content and suppress other content about COVID-19. Internal files at Twitter that I viewed while on assignment for the free press showed that both the Trump and Biden administrations directly, directly pressed Twitter executives to moderate the platform's pandemic content according to their wishes. At the onset of the pandemic, according to meeting notes, the Trump administration was especially concerned about panic buying. They came looking for, quote, help from the tech companies to combat misinformation about, quote, runs on grocery stores. But there were, but there were runs on grocery stores. So very interesting. And uh, yeah, we'll cut this one here, share away. You're listening to Fulcrum News, real news from America and around the world. Fulcrumnews.com slash subscribe to get our premium membership and updates via email.